Thanks, guys. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you today. I have just uh, bombed it from uh, Guilt Park. In fact, Chuck drove me, which is really kind because I was worried about getting this mic on. And <laughs> he's been my driver today, which has been really sweet of him. But um, just to say what a sweet time we're having at our in-person services. And just really, I know Chuck encouraged you last week. I really want to encourage you, if you haven't been to one, please really consider coming. Um, there's people there from all different sides. It really feels like church um, as we used to know it before COVID. Obviously, there's still a few restrictions and things in place, but it is beautiful. And the worship and the community and just the sense of family is exceptional. And, and you might be waiting for, you know, the sites to open up and we are doing everything within our power uh, to get ready for that moment. But the issues are not with us really, but obviously we are beheld to um, all the different lets that we have. And so if you're waiting for the sites to open up, I would just encourage you to come in and experience um, the in-person service. And we're hearing stories of people saying, I didn't think I needed it. I didn't think, um, I, uh, you know, I was fine. And then I came in and, oh my gosh, I really realize I have missed this. So just an encouragement to you. So um, I've been thinking a lot about positioning recently. Where am I positioned? Where is my heart positioned? Where is we as a church position? Because positioning is pivotal. It can cause us to uh, lose or win a game of football. It can cause us to um, perhaps... Um, cause us to uh, win a, a round of boxing, is it? Or, you know, something in boxing. And, uh, and it could also help us to win a game of Monopoly. Positioning well can set a new business apart from its competitors. You know, putting one person in the right place can turn around a whole organization or school or business. Positioning well can have an exponential impact in pretty much every area of life. And yet, I don't know if you watch much of the Olympics, but um, the US men, men's relay team that um, for the 100 meters relay final, they failed to qualify. Uh, despite their individual talent, they were all so talented, but they failed to qualify basically because they weren't positioned correctly. You know, uh, commentators say that they had poor changeovers and an even more shocking handover, whatever that means. Uh, I'm not into sport, but you see, where we choose to position ourselves is of utmost importance. It's of a great importance, not only to our own um, character and integrity and walk with Jesus, but also it's hugely important because it affects um, pretty much everyone around us for the better or for the worse. And today, as we continue in our Becoming series, we're going to look at how can we become more purposeful in our positioning? And so the question that we're asking today is, where am I positioned and who am I positioned next to? Because the man that we're going to read about in a moment teaches us what it means to be perfectly positioned. Perfectly positioned to enable others to rise. Perfectly positioned to bring encouragement. Perfectly positioned to strengthen and uphold. Perfectly positioned to bring a deep and selfless love. Perfectly positioned to carry another. 
perfectly positioned to cover another, perfectly to position to fight for another. You see, this man that I'm speaking about, he was a great military leader. He was a master tactician. He was a brave and mighty warrior. He trusted God implicitly, even when all the odds were stacked against him. You know, because of his great faith in the Lord, he decided to take on a Philistine outpost station, just him and his armor bearer, just the two of them, because he believed that God would save them. Yet this man, he's not really known for these things. He's not really known for being this mighty, brave warrior. He isn't really known for uh, his brilliant leadership or strategic mind. Instead, just like many Christians, you and I know him because of how he positioned himself. We know him best because who he positioned himself next to. You see, Jonathan is known for his incredible love, his incredible friendship and loyalty to David. We know him best when we think about their great bond of friendship. And for us, if we want to stay the course, to be an example in our workplace and have influence in our families and in our local communities, and if we want to change the narrative of our society from the smallest sphere to the largest sphere of education and business and health and social justice, if we want to see transformation in our friends and our families' lives, in our own lives, in our wee little villages and our towns and our cities, then we need to pay attention to how we are positioned and who we are positioned next to. And today we are in the book of 1 Samuel and we are going to read from chapter 20. And I'm going to read initially from verse 1 to 11. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to that now. And let's read together. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father? What is, what, sorry, that he's trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow's a new moon feast and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem to his hometown because of an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought, brought me into a covenant with, with you before the Lord. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. 
So I don't know about you, but whenever or sometimes when I read different things and particularly uh, the Bible, I have like a soundtrack playing in the background. Uh, Does anyone else have that? There was a few people at Central. It didn't make me feel quite as uh, freaky. Oh, Caroline does. That's good to know. Well, anyway, as I've been preparing for this talk and reading and rereading this passage over and over, the song that kept coming into my mind was the song Under Pressure that was written by Queen and David Bowie. Now, I am not going to sing it. You'll be glad to know. But when I uh, looked up the words, I actually thought they were pretty apt. And it says this. Pressure pushing down on me, pressing down on you, no man asks for. Under pressure that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. And that is what we are seeing in this passage. We are seeing a household that is unsafe. We're seeing a palace that is divided. We are seeing relationships that are being torn apart. And yet in the midst of all of this, we see steadfast friendship. We see loyalty. We see the power of being purposely positioned. And it's clear that Jonathan completely understands the magnitude of loyalty, of covering, of encouragement, of positioning. And so our first point today is, are we purposely positioned for preference? Are we positioning ourselves to be able to prefer another? As our post, is our posture one that allows us to place someone else above ourselves, no matter how difficult that might be? And are we positioned to receive this gift for ourselves? You see, when we are purposely and intentionally positioned, it brings about a preference for others. So no matter kind of even how difficult that situation might be, no matter how hard it is that we face, we prefer someone else. And we see that in Jonathan, don't we? Verses three and four, David says, yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And so in the middle of this incredibly stressful and high-pressured situation where David is having to flee for his life, we find two friends. And in the world's eyes, they could easily have turned in on themselves. They could easily have gone into their own rights and what they were owed and their anger and their frustration and their hurt and their own entitlements. You know, David could so easily have resented Jonathan. Jonathan, whose dad... He's out to kill him. You know, he's made several attempts on his life. And he now he's got David running for his life. He's baying for blood. He wants David dead. And then Jonathan, whose whole life trajectory has been changed in a blink of an eye because of David. Where David has been anointed as king. And the crown has been taken out of Saul's hand, but he's also been removed from Jonathan's as well. And everything that Jonathan would have been preparing for, for, the, for that time, you know, since the moment he was born, has been taken away from him because of David. And yet, he's not only willing to lay down his rights to the throne, 
He serves David. He chooses to serve David. In fact, do whatever David asks him to do. You know, even if it means putting himself in danger, even if it means jeopardizing his own relationship with his father. I just love how Jonathan carries himself. I love it. How he's positioned himself purposely and intentionally between a terrible situation and David. And he's given David a precious gift, a gift that isn't easily given. It, it can't be bought and it, or taken, and it's not often easily found. And it's the gift that when given entirely and completely will redirect our relationships in every area of our lives. It's the gift of preferring another, loving another. It's a gift that allows us to say, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Whatever you want me to do, I'm here for you. Whatever the cost to myself, I will do everything in my power to see you rise, to see you grow, to see you succeed. And of course, Jesus was the perfect example of that. Dying on the cross so that not only we would know him as God, but that we would call him friend. And in John 15, Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And for Jonathan, we see jealousy and competitiveness are both knocked off their feet under the pure delight of uh, preferring David over himself. He gets to see another's faith rise and their feet run to prefer one another, to stand with one another, to cover one another, to position not only ourselves, but also our heart and our souls for another. It sets us apart and it makes us distinctive from often the shallow and selfish relationships that the world offers. You see, if David didn't have Jonathan, he very well may have given up his, his call to be king. He may well have just quit, jacked it all in. He could easily have gone back to feeding the sheep, taking care of them. Church, never underestimate this beautiful gift. Never undervalue the long-lasting kingdom impact of being perfectly positioned to prefer someone else in shores. And so we're going to pick up the story again. And uh, they, David and Jonathan, they go out to the field and basically they make a plan together. And the plan is Jonathan goes back to the palace and he's going to suss out Saul. And, um, and then he's going to let David know whether he's safe or not. And so he goes back to the palace and uh, he susses out Saul. And Saul betrays himself because he asks, where's David? And the minute that Jonathan says, well, you know, he's gone home, he's gone to be with his family, this mighty argument ensues to the point where Saul gets a javelin and he throws the javelin at his son. He tries to kill his son. And in that moment, Jonathan knows we need to activate the plan. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. And we're in verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow behind you? 
Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing about any of this between Jonathan and David. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to the town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and they wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Our second point today is, are we purposely positioned for partnership? You know those people that God puts in our lives to help us direct our next step? Are we positioned to receive them? So David, he's waiting by this stone called Ezel or Ezel, and it's described as a stone that shows you the way to go. It's basically a signpost. But David isn't looking to that stone to know where to go. He's waiting. He's waiting for Jonathan to let him know whether he's safe or not. And for two days, David is there waiting. Waiting can be a really incredibly hard place to be, can't it? Waiting it out, waiting for God to move, waiting for our next step, waiting to know where to go and what to do. And David is doing just that. He's waiting. He's in this place where he's powerless. He's got, he, he can't do anything about the waiting. And the thing that is going to direct his kind of and guide his next steps is a set of arrows. And the thing is, David doesn't hold them in his hands. They're in Jonathan's hands. And this is a beautiful example of how God uses a purposely positioned friend to reveal the direction that he wants David to take. Andrew Carney, who is a Scottish-American industrialist, he says this, it marks a big step in your development when you come to realize that other people can help you do a better job than you can do alone. So we recently were speaking to Thomas and Mary Urquhart. Um, Dear Thomas and Mary, we planted them out to plant Inverness Vineyard um, a good few years ago now as part of our 21 by 21 vision to see the whole of Scotland transformed through church planting. And Thomas and Mary were the very first church to go and they're doing an amazing job. We're so utterly proud of them. They're seeing people that don't know Jesus find Jesus for the first time. They're seeing transformation happening in their communities as they serve the poor and they bring bags of encouragement to people and they pray for people. And, and they're just doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And it's just so exciting to hear their stories. And uh, what they told us was as they are starting to kind of launch their church out of COVID, what they did was uh, they bought a jigsaw puzzle of Inverness and then they gave each of their church family a piece of the jigsaw. And they said, your piece is needed. We, you are needed. Your piece is vital to this jigsaw. I just love that because if you think about a jigsaw, every piece is unique. It's shaped differently. It brings different gifting. And the big thing about this church is a piece of jigsaw cannot operate by itself. It was never made to be on its own. And I love this picture because it's a picture of the church. 
Everyone has a piece of the jigsaw, but no one person has the complete jigsaw. No one person sees the complete picture. We were made to be interconnected and reliant on one another. None of us see the complete picture. None of us know what the end result is going to be in terms of our journeys. We all need each other to help us navigate this crazy thing called life. And the completely brilliant thing about church is that it's made up of all sorts of different people who are completely different to you and completely different to me. You know, they come, who, people who've got different um, backgrounds and different experiences and different ways of seeing the world. And they have different skills and different passions and different dreams. And all of their differences make their perspective and their wisdom absolutely essential for my life. My journey, I must purposely position myself in such a way that I am ready to receive whatever it is that they have for me. You see, Jonathan has a piece of information that is absolutely critical to David's success. David knows he needs Jonathan. God put a friend with some arrows in David's life, and it was down to David to watch and to wait for those arrows to strike even though the waiting emotionally would have been agony for him and physically pretty challenging, you know, being camped out by a rock for a couple of days. It was a pretty uncomfortable place to be, but he waited. David waited, verse 41. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. You see, when the answer came, as the arrow was struck... David, he received it well. It was never part of David's plan to go on the run. David never wanted to be a fugitive. He didn't want to do any of these things, but he knew they were the next steps that God was directing him to do. He knew the direction he needed to take. He received it well. Verses 41 and 42, then they kissed each other and wept together. And David wept the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. So even though this is an incredibly stretching and challenging situation for their friendship, what we see is a deepened friendship, despite the circumstances. Verse 42, we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. So the Lord, he puts friends with arrows in our lives, and it's up to us to look for them and to wait for them and then to receive them. And let's be a people who look for the archers who the Lord has purposely placed in our lives, just like David and Jonathan, because we need them more than ever before. You know, in this season of turbulence and transition, where there is so much uncertainty and so little clarity, it's so important that we recognize that to successfully navigate these crazy times that we are in, we can't do it flying solo. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't be an island. But instead, we need to lean into community, into friendship, into connect groups. It's a prime moment for us, into church. It will come from seeking out the wisdom and the experience of those around us, those with prophetic insight. It will come from looking for the arrows of heaven's direction coming from the bows of our purposely positioned partners. Why don't we pray together?
Holy Spirit, I just want to say a simple prayer, which is search us, O God. Show us, Lord, if there is anything in our lives where we, there's some pride or we think we can do this thing by ourselves. Would you come and show us who you've positioned around us? Would you give us courage maybe to be vulnerable? Would you give us courage to take the step that we know you're asking us to take, but we don't want to take it? A bit like David. I pray for all those people watching today who are waiting. They're in a place of waiting. Lord, I pray that you'd fill them with your love. You'd fill them with your courage. That you would fill them with perseverance to continue to wait until you speak. That we wouldn't move until we hear your voice through the people that you've positioned around us. And I pray for anyone, Father, right now who just feels isolated and alone. Would you give them courage to reach out? And would you give us, Lord, the church family, just insight into picking up the phone or sending a message of encouragement or being family to each other? Holy Spirit, we want to be a a people whose relationships look different to the rest of what we see around us. Help us to be distinctive in that, Lord. Speak to us through that. Amen. Amen. And uh, just before I hand back over to Ross and Caroline, um, I just want to give an opportunity, if there is anyone who is watching now or maybe later, who wants to give their life to Jesus. You know, um, the best partnership, I've been speaking about partnership all the way through and friendship, the best partnership you could ever have is a partnership with Jesus. A friend that will never let you down. A God that will never forsake you. That is always for you. And perhaps you've been searching a long time for something like that. And maybe you've tried different religions. Maybe you've tried it by yourself and you're just done. And you've come to the end of yourself. Well, today there is an opportunity for you to turn and for you to give your life to Jesus and for you to follow him. And so if that is you, we're just going to say a simple prayer. And um, you can just say that prayer one line at a time. Uh, You can say it in your own heart, or the beauty of being at home is you can declare it for all the world to hear. So why don't we pray? Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. And today I choose your friendship over anything and anyone else. Would you come into my life, Jesus? Would you fill me by your spirit? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I can have friendship with you and know you not just as God, but as friend. I'm sorry for the things that I have said and I have done that have not been pleasing to you. And today, I choose to turn from my old ways of thinking and doing and being and choose to live my life for you and to follow you. 
Fill me with your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.